It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a sensational weekend. We're back in action. Hope you are ready to go. Uh, Steve Hayes from the Dispatch will be with us. You know him all over Fox News, Fox News contributor as well. I'll be talking to him shortly. And of course, we got the big news uh, that is going to be taking place because this is a big week for President. Biden, it's his first 100 days. He's actually at day 99 right now. We'll have uh, the New York City mayor going to give a 2 o'clock availability because I believe he's going to loosen up restrictions even more. And then we have, so with the space station, we have a SpaceX crew going up. And we also have Elon Musk. With the big news, he'll be hosting SNL. And Miley Cyrus is the musical act and is protesting already. Isn't she tolerant? And by the way, the Oscars were on last night. I know. You made sure not to watch. You're lucky. We'll play a few clips. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think it's pretty common sense now that outdoor risk is really, really quite low. Particularly, I mean, if you were a vaccinated person wearing a, wearing a mask outdoors, I mean, obviously the risk is minuscule. Uh, wow. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, really? The risk is minuscule? When you told us we can't do anything at any time, at any point, we'd look at the data? Numbers are plummeting, but restrictions remain. We are way too smart to tolerate this. Latest Fauci flip-flop is just intolerable. We knew this about a year ago. Being outside is the best place to be. We're playing sports. Now, over on Sunday, he's like, well, the chances are minuscule of getting it. No kidding. Number two. We have a plan to actually have a, another meeting. Um, coming up soon. Are you going to go there? In that regard, it is, yes, we're, we're working on the plan to get there. We have to deal with COVID issues, but I can't get there soon enough in terms of personally getting there. Embarrassing. That's what I call vice president's interview on CNN. As she pretends to care about illegal immigration and understand the issues, she doesn't and she will never. Her excuse for not going to the triangle countries on the border are anything but the truth. Number one. I do think that the Biden administration and President Biden has definitely exceeded expectations that progressives had. Uh, you know, I'll be frank. I think a lot of us expected a much more conservative administration. No kidding. So did we, because he said it over and over again. And then we listened to the inaugural, the 100-day mark. How is Joe Biden doing? We'll give you the poll numbers, but approval is in the eyes of the party beholder as we have become more divided than ever. I think 84% of the country said we're more divided than ever. So you could say whatever Joe, Biden, Joe Biden's role, we were divided before, got it. He was supposed to bring us together. He hasn't. But his approval overall, the President uh, Trump would have killed for this. Never had it. He's got the Fox says he's 54%. CBS and ABC say 52%. Uh, Compare it to other presidents. Trump was 45. Obama was 68. Bush was 56. Uh, So uh, Biden is doing worse than them. But he came in and he passed a whole bunch of liberal stuff. You know what he did with the $1.9 trillion, very little pandemic stuff in there. You know what he's doing with packing the court, 180 days to come up with a recommendation out of fatten the court and change our Supreme Court justice system? Are you nuts? Now he's thinking about making D.C. a state. Looking up and down about what the polls say about how he is doing. 
On the economy, he's got 48% approve it. Unbelievable. To me, I'm stunned because if you look at the what he's spending and how little we have in the coffers, how slow he's been to stand up our own economy, how instead of pushing forward, he's holding back, not pushing at all on the unions. On the coronavirus, he gets high marks. Look, he organized it. Just like I think any administration would have done, but he's done a good job organizing it. But the president brought it to the threshold. We're at one, you know, we were getting one million a day anyway. And then the the coronavirus vaccine was out. So this guy was queued up to do well. But so far, he has not dropped the ball. On the vaccine, he gets high remarks. On the coronavirus, he gets high remarks. On border security, terrible. 35%. Who are the 35% that think he's doing good? On guns. Only 36% approve it. I'm not sure where that goes. Do they want more regulation or are they upset that he's talking about regulation? On immigration, 34%. I can't imagine anyone happy. But when AOC says this, you know he is not governing from the middle. One thing that I will say is that I do think that um, the Biden administration and President Biden has definitely exceeded expectations that progressives had. Uh, you know, I'll be frank. I think a lot of us expected a much more conservative administration. Yeah, no kidding. But this guy's been threatening and is on the precipice of hiking taxes, corporate as well as capital gains, doubling, upper uh, bracket, up to another two points. He's taking and vilifying the most successful people in our country. That's it. And even if you're not there yet, the American mindset is, I'll be there. And when I get there, I want to open up more business, give up more opportunity. But if you're going to take $6 of every $10 I make, and you're going to take it for taxes, I'm going to stop making $10. I'm going to keep my money. I'm going to hold it. Chris Christie, cut 10. The capital gains issue is nothing more than income redistribution. Mm -hmm. It's socialism. (laughs) Joe Biden, Joe Biden's proposal to do that. Let's remember that that investment income, they've already paid taxes on it. You paid taxes on it before you invested it. And now you're going to pay taxes on it again at the same rate that you pay. But a a difference in in the rate changes the capital gains tax into socialism? Sure, of course it does. It's redistribution of income, George. And and I just want to warn everybody out there, wait until you see what happens to your retirement funds. If Joe Biden gets a 39.6% capital gains, wait till you see what happens to the market. And as most people in America who have their IRAs and their 401ks and self-directed retirement invested in the stock market, they're going to see their retirement income and their college savings income in 529s drop significantly. That's going to be the problem. And by, you know, he's probably got, they say, maybe till next March to govern with this House and Senate. He's going to lose the House. And if the Republicans don't drop the ball and in the Senate, I hope he loses it. Uh, I pray every day that he will lose it because he's trying to jam everything down our throats. Thank goodness for Joe Manchin. I think Joe Manchin's being serious. A lot of Republicans aren't. He says, I am not going to do anything on reconciliation anymore. I'm going to make these guys work together on the next two big issues, police reform as well as infrastructure. And he believes infrastructure should actually be infrastructure, not human infrastructure, $400 billion for elder care and a, uh, and a green militia that's going to police and try to find different ways to clean up our environment. I don't really think that's infrastructure. That's just me, though. Britt Hume has seen it all. He weighed in last night. Cut 11. Joe Biden, while he said during the campaign that he would perhaps be the most progressive president ever, he also made all those noises like the ones that you could hear in that soundbite you played 
that suggested he, that he would definitely be prepared to sit down with Republicans and reach common ground on things, uh, which he manifestly has not done. Uh, he has governed so far, not just from the near left, but pretty much from the far left. I mean, he is out there. Uh, and Republicans, obviously, are not coming toward that stuff. So I think, um, you know, we'll see. But, uh, but I, don't, I don't think there's a case to be made that, uh, that he's been, you know, as a centrist, reaching out to Republicans at all. He hasn't. And we'll see on the next one because he'll have to, if Manchin holds the line, police reform, he'll have to. And by the way, you're going to push Tim Scott aside. He put together a solid program. He'll have to if he wants to get infrastructure done. And now he's going to announce another program for $1 trillion called the Family Plan. Do you believe this guy? I've never seen it. Does he have any idea that this is real money? Next, illegal uh, immigrants. If you look at these numbers, they are stunning. Stunning on how bad they are on border security. If you ask the American people, how's it going? 15% say it's better now. Where are those people? In June of 2018, 28% said it was better. So right now, you had high approval rates for, for Trump on the border, and it's a nightmare now. Now, let's look at what's happening with uh, the border security. When you see the numbers of people crossing, they are through the roof. Look at this. Total enforcement encounters under President Biden. March of 2021, just a month that just is about to pass, 171,331. In February of 2021, 101,000. They're both 71% increase year to year. Encounters, uh, 171. You saw that. A 66% increase from 2019. Encounters in the first six months of 2021 exceed all of 2020. Get this. All of 2020, where there were 458,000 attempted crossings, already in what month are we in? Still in April? 569,879. Please don't tell me that this is working. Kamala Harris was given this assignment to rein things in at the border, attack and offer a plan. She has done almost nothing, and she blames Trump and COVID. Cut 12. The kind of work that has to happen is the diplomatic work that we've been engaged in, in term, including my calls to the president of Mexico, the president of Guatemala, um, and, and we have a plan to actually have a, another meeting um, coming up soon. Are in, you going to go there? In that regard, it is, yes, we're, we're working on the plan to get there. We have to deal with COVID issues, but I can't get there soon enough in you terms have, of personally you, getting there. You have an envoy in the region. Tucker Carlson just wanted to talk to the head of El, uh, the president of El Salvador. My goodness. Why do you please don't tell me you buy that? And Dana Bash, who's a great, who's a strong reporter, uh, you would think would say, wait a second, you've given this in March. You said you're not going till June. And when you're going to blame President Trump, President Trump said, until you start enforcing your border, you're not going to get any aid. When they started doing it, they got the aid back. Cut 13. Joe Biden, as vice president, had was asked by President Obama to focus on the Northern Triangle, mm-hmm. and he has asked me to do and to carry on the work that that he did. We're making progress, but it's not going to evidence itself overnight. It will not, but it will be worth it. It's not close. It's a disaster. You won't go to the border, won't go to those countries. And why are you just calling Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Honduras? All of them need to be examined. We have to come up with our own evaluations. 
And what she says why people come here is totally wrong. She's forgetting the fact that drugs are flowing through our border. They're up like 700% in terms of fentanyl coming across our border. You're saying that people want to come here for a better opportunity? Everybody wants to come here for a better opportunity. If you keep on letting everybody in, no one will have any opportunity. Fentanyl seizures at the southern border, March 2021, as opposed to March 2020, up 233%. But still, Harris sees only benevolence and people who just want opportunity. Cut 15. Most people don't want to leave home. They don't want to leave their grandparents. They don't want to leave the place where they grew up, where the, you know, they speak the language, where they know the culture. Um, the place where they're, the place that is home. Most people don't want to leave home, and when they do, it's usually for one of two reasons: they're fleeing some harm, or they cannot stay and satisfy the basic necessities of life, such as feeding their children and having a roof over their head. We have to give people some sense of hope that if they stay, that help is on the way. That's not our job. Our job is not to fix other countries. That we, do it. we went into Iraq because of national security. When we want to start building up Iraq, people say we don't nation build. But now I'm supposed to build their nation when we're $33 trillion over budget? That's not our job. If you want to aid and try to bring, try to bring manufacturing there instead of bringing everything to Indonesia and China and Malaysia and Taiwan and in Vietnam, that's a plan. But writing big checks to a country not to come here when their governments may be incapable of running a bureaucracy effectively to get that money where it belongs, not really my idea of border security. Meanwhile, when it comes to border security, pointed out, we're paying contractors not to build the wall, unacceptable. And when these kids come here, unaccompanied minors, and get put into homes, they're getting welfare. That family's getting welfare. That's not acceptable either. Stephen Hayes in 10 minutes. You're next, one 408 we talk about what's happening with the pandemic. Why are these restrictions still in place? And why are we allowing Anthony Fauci to flip-flop all over the place? This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. 
In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I think it's pretty common sense now that outdoor risk is really, really quite low, particularly, I mean, if you were a vaccinated person wearing a, wearing a mask outdoors, I mean, obviously the risk is minuscule. What I believe you're going to be hearing, what the country is going to be going to be hearing soon is updated guidelines from the CDC. The CDC is a science-based organization. They don't want to make any guidelines unless they look at the data and the data backs it up. But when you look around at the common sense situation, obviously the risk is really very low, particularly if you're vaccinated. No kidding. Uh, that's unbelievable that he's saying that. We knew being in the outdoors is safe. They were keeping us off the beach forever, keeping us off the fields forever. They didn't want us to golf for a while. Maybe it was a um, precaution. But after a few months when it became clear what was going on and the human beings aren't meant to huddle in a closet, it was clear that we should have been out there. But this guy has no clue to the human condition. You know that he did. He threw his pitch out at the Nationals game and took his mask off right away. He's sitting outdoors. They spread us out. They only allowed 1,000 people in a Nick game or a uh, Timberwolves game. And then when you, you go and go to Florida yesterday, excuse me, on Saturday, they had a capacity crowd indoors. Has you seen a problem? I haven't even seen a surge from spring break. Have you seen a problem? What do they have in common? Indoors. Excuse me, outdoors. But indoors is not an issue either. By the way, can't get a reservation on Long Island. Can't get a reservation in Florida. Everything's packed. People are going indoors. And this guy is all over the place with his flip-flops. Here is Dr. Marty McCarty. Excuse me. I want you to hear Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He understands the medical side, and he understands what it's like to be a human being. Cut 20. Yeah, I think we are seeing a hopeful trend across the country. Cases are clearly declining. The positivity rate's about 3.3% right now. Hospitalizations are falling as well, which is a good indication. And even in hard-hit areas like Michigan, which had late epidemics, late surges, you're seeing cases start to come down. I think whereas the past trends when we saw cases start to decline, we were somewhat skeptical because we knew a lot of those declines were a result of behavioral changes, people pulling back more, taking more precautions. And then as soon as we sort of let our guard down, we saw cases surge again. Right now, the declines that we're seeing, we can take to the bank. I think we can feel more assured because they're being driven by vaccinations and greater levels of population-wide immunity, not just from vaccination, but also from prior infection. There's been a lot of Americans who've had this infection and have a level of immunity from their prior disease. So you should be doing that. You should be telling people they're vaccinated, take your mask off. You can't carry it. The CDC director said that. They see the data and they see the real Life stats, they see it from Israel. We got it. We understand it. And you should have had when President Biden speaks for the joint session on Wednesday night, you want to send a message? Everyone there has been vaccinated. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Show up, sit shoulder to shoulder. That's what we should all be doing right now. Because you can spread it if you have, and if everyone's vaccinated, there's zero risk. What is the big deal? Instead, we got a president of the United States, a head of the medical association, uh, the, driving the medicine and the science side, telling us up until yesterday, a little dangerous to go outside. And whatever you do, don't eat indoors. And, and the president's saying, well, you might have a cookout on July 4th, but that's at risk. We're doing it anyway. You can't control our lives. We see the science. And if you wonder why the vaccinations are beginning to tail off is because you have shown us no tangible benefits from getting vaccinated. I did. I'm not reluctant to do it. Those that are on the fence, look at you, Mr. President, with two masks on a Zoom call with world leaders. And may I add the only one and say, are you kidding? Walking out to an empty studio or through a graveyard with masks on by yourself? Is that a good message? You are the worst anti-vaxxer. Steve Hayes is going to be with us. Going to put it all in perspective. Talk about the first hundred days of the Biden administration and so much more. He's with the dispatch. Back in a moment. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. During the campaign, you made us all believe that Joe Biden would be the moderate choice. That he really, that court packing was a bonehead idea. All of a sudden, we got a commission to change the structure of the Supreme Court, uh, making D.C. a state. I think that's a very radical idea that will change the makeup of the United States Senate. AOC said his first 100 days exceeded her expectations. That's all you need to know. I like Joe Biden. He's been a disaster on foreign policy. The border is in chaos. The Iranians are off the mat. He's opening up negotiations with the Iranian regime, and they haven't done a damn thing to change. Afghanistan's going to fall apart. Uh, Russia and China are already pushing him around. So, you know, even though the president uh, has 54 percent approval rating, according to Fox, 52 according to CBS and ABC, Lindsey Graham not impressed. Nor will I find many Republicans impressed. Uh, Steve Hayes joins us tonight, Fox News contributor, editor, and CEO of The Dispatch. Off to a roaring start. He and uh, Jonah Gorbro got that uh, uh, co-leading that uh, that enterprise. Steve, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Morning. How are you? First off, what do you think of Lindsey Graham's assessment? Does it match yours? Yeah, I think in many respects it does. I'd quibble with him on on a, a few things. Uh, you know, Biden did say before he was elected that he would create this commission to, to study the size of the Supreme Court. And I view that as much more of something that kicks the can down the road than uh, and, and kind of puts progressives off than actually indulges them or is anything that he's likely to embrace. But I think on some of these other things, you know, Brian, I remember talking to you about this through, throughout the campaign. I mean, Biden was in some ways, the, the moderate or one of the moderates of the Democratic field, that did not make him a centrist. The Democratic field was pretty far to the left, and the Democratic Party has shifted pretty far to the left. And, you know, I think we 
talked repeatedly of, of Joe Biden running to the left of Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012 and the, the left of Hillary Clinton in 2016. He's really seeming to embrace this role as the next LBJ or the next FDR, and he wants to be a transformative president. What's amazing is we had a world war with for FDR, and we had a cratered economy under depression we weren't convinced we can get out of. But now we had an economy that was going to recover, Steve, if we didn't touch it because we intentionally pulled it to the yeah. side of the road. So it might recover, and it might, it might give a false sense that his policies are doing it. Yeah. I mean, really what's, what I think is, is interesting here is how big he's going. I mean, you had $5.3 trillion in spending on COVID relief before the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill, which wasn't really a COVID relief bill so much as it was a, a progressive wish list with some COVID relief measures attached. Uh, now you're looking at, you know, at a minimum $2.2 trillion uh, if the White House gets its way on infrastructure spending, which, again, isn't really primarily infrastructure spending. It's infrastructure spending with all sorts of other things attached. I mean, this, this level of spending is extraordinary. And unfortunately, I think Republicans don't have very firm footing to, to take him on and to challenge him because over the past four years, Republicans weren't minding the store on spending either. It's something that both like parties this. in Washington haven't really been, been paying attention to. But not like this. I mean, we've never seen anything like this. Uh, we saw bipartisan well, like co- this, but, but now we have but another this, trillion announced Wednesday, a family yeah. bill. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's clearly he's clearly going for it. I mean, we had Mick Mulvaney on our, our dispatch podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and he said, you know, that that Donald Trump in his first two years, the Trump administration spent more than Barack Obama did in the last two years of that administration. So we did have this really significant level of spending continuing on its trajectory, on its inexorable trajectory up. The, the challenge, I think, is you have to have – I would like to believe you have to have one party or one faction of one party that sees itself as being responsible fiscally. And right now it just doesn't look like we have that. Republicans, of course, are once again finding their voice on debt and deficits. You know, People who didn't complain about it for four years are suddenly very, very concerned about it. I think there are lots of reasons to be concerned about it. I just would have liked to have heard more from them uh, over the past you know, four years, past eight years. But wh- where was their spending? The tax cut? You look at that as spending? Where was the spending plan that Trump well, had? Well, the spending, the spending, I mean, there were, there were significant numbers of ways that the Trump administration spent. I mean, look at his early budgets. I mean, this was when Mick Mulvaney was in charge of those budgets. They continued to ratchet up. Some of the spending I agreed with. I mean, I, you know, there was... An increase in defense spending. There had been talk of pretty significant defense cuts. Some of the the, the defense cuts were set aside so that we could increase uh, the spending on things like nu- nuclear uh, security, security for our nuclear arsenal. I thought those were were good things. I don't mean to criticize every piece of spending, but there was nothing at all done about the kinds of mandatory spending and entitlement programs that are driving the debt. And that's, you know, I think that's a that's a significant problem. So I would say the, a couple of things, you know, and the Wall Street Journal writes about this today. This whole increase in doubling of capital gains tax is they say you're not going to get more revenue. The, the past has shown us you don't get more revenue. People stop investing because smart people don't just get rid of money because they have a lot of money. Uh, right. And then in New York, they're raising the taxes so high despite getting a free payout. You're now giving almost 60 percent of your money to the federal and state taxes. This thing is so backwards. I want you to hear what Rand Paul said. Cut seven. 
One of the best things we did in the Republican years under Trump was lower the corporate income tax, and it brought hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars back to the U.S. Just in my town, Bowling Green, Kentucky, the Corvette plant added 400 jobs because General Motors had hundreds of millions of dollars returned to them by having lower corporate income tax. So when you raise this, the opposite happens. We'll have more jobs go overseas, more corporations go overseas. And I, I'm Steve, I don't know if you know, during yeah. the Obama years when they were starting to come back and they wanted people to invest, a lot of rich, these hedge fund guys, these billionaires go, really? You're going to make me pay a penalty for investing? I'm going to sit on the sidelines because they don't need to make money. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree entirely, particularly on the, on the corporate taxes. I mean, it's, it, this is self-defeating. And, and this is why, you know, you had Janet Yellen going and seeking a global minimum tax and trying to get everybody else to say, hey, we'll raise our taxes too because the United States – is going to raise its corporate taxes. You know, it's, it's an announcement that we would be increasingly anti-competitive if we did this. The United States would have once again one of the highest corporate tax rates in the world. It's not just that that you know companies can move overseas, which they will. That's increasingly possible in today's world. It's also that corporations don't just eat these taxes I know. that are imposed on them. They're passed along to consumers. Everybody understands this. It's not that the corporations are just going to voluntarily take a, a smaller bottom line, they're going to say, okay, we're going to pass this on to our partners. We're going to pass this on to wholesalers. We're going to pass this on to our cons- our customers. Ultimately, consumers are going to pay. It's a pretty self-defeating self-defeating move, and, and those rates are the kind of, I think, rates that would get people to, to look elsewhere. I would think so. And it reminds me of when the Obamacare went into play. They said, if you have a certain amount of employees, I think it was 20 employees, you're going to have to pay their health insurance. So they stayed at 19. I mean, people yeah. react to what's happening. Steve, I don't know if you've seen this. I haven't seen numbers to back this up. But anecdotal information that we've gotten on this show, uh, in real life, and on Fox & Friends especially, are businesses that cannot fill positions because unemployment pays so much with this supplemental payment. What's your stand on this? And it looks like it could end in September. There's a movement to extend this. Who, would, who wants to see a workforce depleted of workers? Yeah, I mean, so as it happens, I uh, I was um, I spend most of my time at the dispatch doing sort of CEO related things and editor related things. But I put on my reporter hat and went out and talked to people around the country. Uh, some folks in Ohio, some folks in Florida, folks in in my home state of Wisconsin, North Carolina, and elsewhere. Talk to business owners, small, medium sized business owners, who say they can't hire no matter what. They, they will do. They're they're creating bonuses as incentives. They're they're increasing their wages to bring people aboard. This is particularly true of manufacturing sector and service industry, restaurants and and bars and whatnot. And <clears throat> they just can't hire. And uh, you know, some of these places are literally going out of business. Others are having to cut back how many hours they're open, either hours in a day that they stay open or days in a week that they stay open. And it's not just limited to to the, those folks. I mean, you know, I talked to a restaurant owner in, in the panhandle of Florida who described for me what he's trying to do. He's got two kitchens at this big beachfront restaurant. One of them, he's just got closed. So his waits are two hours and 20 minutes. But beyond that, the local brewery that supplies his beer can't find drivers to bring the beer to his restaurant. Wow. He's got less beer. Uh, He's got a security team of six to eight people typically when he's fully staffed, and they cover the weekends, the weekend nights when things get a little bit more lively. He can't find anybody 
to do security. So he went to a private firm. The guy said, I'll give you two security officers. I'll send them to you next week. And after looking for a couple more days, he said, I'm sorry, I can't send you any private security firm. So, you know, this is this has ripple effects throughout the economy and extending unemployment, making it more profitable for workers who to stay home rather than to go back to work, I think, is having the opposite of its, its intended effect, at least its initial intended effect. No kidding. And, and I see the same thing in New York and Florida. Um, I'm sorry, I saw that in Texas. And that was before the $1.9 trillion passed. Now this is going to make it worse. It's going to, it's going to go, in many cases, all the way to September. And I just don't understand that the whole capitalist system is, is built on work. Whether you like it or not, it's built on work. If I'm the president yeah. and I want my economy to work, I'm making sure this comes to an end soon. But it, does, it seems yeah. like there's a movement to extend it, which makes me wonder what people are thinking. I want to get to one more topic with you, and it's Kamala Harris finally sat down and did a softball interview with CNN, at which time she was asked about her assignment to settle things at the border. Listen to some of the ridiculous things she said, cut 14. It's not going to be solved overnight. It's a complex issue. Part of the problem is that under the previous administration, they pulled out, essentially, a lot of what had been the continuum of work. And it, it, it essentially came to a standstill. What is she even talking about? She refuses to go to these triangle countries. She says COVID issues. We know that's not the truth. And then in Mexico, she doesn't even go to Mexico. She says, I'll go to Guatemala in June this is not Joe Biden's reaction when Barack Obama gave him the assignment. I mean, what's going on here, Steve? Yeah, I mean, look, I agree with the big picture, her big picture point that, that, that this is more than just a problem at the border. As we've talked about, as others have talked about, this does involve the triangle countries. It involves the, this bigger migration push. But, you know, certainly at some point you have to address what's happening on the border. And the administration we've seen has been – um, shall we say, challenged at the very least on its policies, on its messaging. They're sort of all over the map. They call it a crisis, then it's not a crisis, then they backtrack, then the president says something, then they uh, walk back things the president says. Uh, it's, it's been a mess on messaging. And I think the reason it's been a mess on messaging is because they don't have a real policy in place. They don't know what to do. They, they agree or disagree with Donald Trump's policies. I agreed with some of them. I disagreed with others. Uh, that was what was happening when Joe Biden was sworn in. And there had been predictions for months that if we sort of pulled the plug, it would create a crisis. I mean, you had Jake Sullivan, his national security advisor, um, Susan Rice, and others were asked about this in advance and, and understood that this was likely to come. And that's what they chose to do anyway, rather than kind of slowly change policies in a way that might allow them to manage uh, the, the differences. And, and I think that's they, they, they own it. They own it, and we have to live it, and they think they can get away with it by ignoring it. But here's the other thing. This is an audition for the vice president. This audition, it said, wow, it's a perilous situation. What have you failed? Try. I mean, do you think that Mike Pence said, great, I'm handling the pandemic response. That's fantastic. But no one doubted he tried. No one doubted Joe Biden tried. Even when things were at the worst at the border, I could go talk to border agents. I could do ride-alongs with them. They don't want them to do anything like that. I could go see facilities. Trump was complaining about it like like anybody was complaining about it. we got to get this fixed. You're fired. You're hired. You're replaced. You're acting. But he was trying to fix it. I think what I find the most frustrating is he doesn't seem to be trying to fix it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's very unclear at, at the very least. I mean, no doubt they're having lots of meetings and they're trying to come up with policy. But what, what's not evident is what that new policy is going to be. And, you know, you've had her, as you say, now for, for a little over a month in charge of formulating this new policy, in charge of coming up with something that will lead us out of this crisis and, and frankly, and send a, send a message um, that the borders aren't open. And we just haven't seen that from the White House in any kind of a concrete, uh, a concrete way that, that sends those messages. Does it bother you, Steve, or are you used to it, that this was an issue about a month ago and now all the networks have dropped it? I mean, I mean, we're not going to drop it. It's a legitimate issue. The Border Patrols feel totally abandoned. Nothing is stopping. It's picking up because the weather got nicer. Are you just so used to the other media outlets forgetting about stuff that makes Joe Biden look bad? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're always going to have different media outlets come to different conclusions. But it's it's hard to imagine covering a story, giving a story a ton of attention um, for one week and then without seeing much improvement, just abandoning it the next week based on based on politics. But look, that's that's the media environment we operate in now. Too many outlets to do that. And it's not good for news consumers. That's for sure. It's good for the dispatch. You covered all. Uh, thanks so much, Steve. Talk to you soon. Anytime. Thanks, Brian. You got it. one 408 7669 Your call's next. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. My mother taught me to refuse hate. She taught me to refuse blanket judgment. And in this time, and with uh, all of the internet and social media and algorithms and everything that wants us to think a certain way, the 24-hour news cycle, it is my hope that all of us would teach our kids, and not only to remember, just refuse hate. Don't hate anybody. I, I, I refuse to hate someone because they are Mexican or because they are black or white or LBGTQ. I refuse to hate someone because they are a police officer. I refuse to hate someone because they are Asian. And I want to take this Gene Herschel humanitarian award and dedicate it to anyone who wants to stand in the middle, no matter what's around the wall, stand in the middle, because that's where healing happens. That's where conversation happens. That's where change happens. Tyler Perry, a self-made superstar, uh, ultra-successful entrepreneur, Actor, producer, has his own studio that's often been, uh, he's worried about being boycotted because it's in Georgia. Sometimes Georgia's allotted, other times it's boycotted, and he just made so much sense. He's getting a humanitarian award, and he talked about what's happening in the country, but mostly uh, it was unwatchable last night, and the remarks are so uh, off base. But I just thought that was willing, I would like to share that one with you. William is in New York. Hey, William. Uh, how you doing, Brian? Good. I, uh wonder why they don't say that uh, the people don't want this because Pelosi all the time they get on there they say the people want it and and I just don't understand what the heck they're talking, you're talking about, about spending you're talking about what the infrastructure now, you're talking about everything on anything basically they constantly say the people want it and you look at look at most of the voting if they vote they it's not that people don't want it. They want it. They want to push everything through. Or else, William, uh, AOC would be running for president and Bernie Sanders would have got the nomination, right? Yeah, it's, it's like they, they might as well have won because that's who's running it. 
So far, that's what's uh, so disappointing 100 days in. I appreciate the call, uh, William. I appreciate it from New York. But And you would think in New York they'd be, be happy with what's going on uh, because Joe Biden won the presidency. They got a big check. And because Governor Cuomo now has to kiss up to the left in the hopes of holding on to his job and maybe getting another four years, he's kissing up to the left and he's raising taxes. So it's a lose-lose for the most productive people in our country. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com if you want to learn what's great about America. Get any one of my history books, George Washington's Secret Six, Thomas Jefferson and Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, The Miracle of New Orleans, or Sam Houston, and the Alamo Avengers. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Michael Goodwin of the New York Post will be with us shortly. He spoke to the president, former president, uh, late last week about taking the coronavirus vaccine. And he says we should do it. I'm not sure why the hesitancy they say for Republicans. And Brett Baer is going to be with us at the bottom of the hour. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Brett just did a great special on taxes. And, man, are we learning a lot about taxes? Because uh, Joe Biden uh, loves taxing. We're talking about getting taxes and jamming it down our throats. We'll see how far he gets because Joe Manchin stays uh, stays in the way of insanity because he does not want to do anything on simply reconciliation. Or well, certainly doesn't want to blow up the filibuster. So uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think it's pretty common sense now that outdoor risk is really, really quite low, particularly, I mean, if you were a vaccinated person wearing a wearing a mask outdoors, I mean, obviously the risk is minuscule. Yeah, really? No kidding. We've been outdoors. Why are you saying this now? Pandemic numbers are plummeting. Restrictions remain in so many cases. Why we are now too smart to tolerate uh, this idiocy from our mayors and governors as Fauci continues to flip flop all over the place. Can we please get on with our lives? Number two, we have a plan to actually have a, another meeting um, coming up soon. Are in, you going to go there? In that regard, it is yes. We're we're working on the plan to get there. We have to deal with COVID issues, but I can't get there soon enough in terms of personally getting there. Embarrassing. That's what I call Vice President Harris's interview on CNN as she pretends to care about illegal immigration and understand the issues. She doesn't on either count. Her excuse for not going to triangle countries and blaming Trump are ridiculous. Number one. I do think that the Biden administration and President Biden has definitely exceeded expectations that progressives had. Uh, you know, I'll be frank. I think a lot of us expected a much more conservative administration. Yeah, I'll be frank. That's exactly why everyone's disappointed. AOC is happy. Usually means America isn't. The 100-day mark. How is Joe Biden doing? We'll give you the poll numbers, but approval is in the eyes of the party beholder as we have become more divided than ever. I think 84% of the country think we're more divided than ever. So I'm not expecting Joe Biden to solve that, but at least try to live up to it. I mean, he jammed the $1.9 trillion down our throats after past $900 billion in December. And now we have so many people who are getting so many extra benefits for money we don't have. They won't work. You can't get anybody 
at, uh, at, at oil wells. You can't get anyone in restaurants. You can't get anyone in fast food restaurants especially. People don't want to work because they're getting too much money for free for no cost. And now they're getting word that they're going to forgive their student loans. That's not the way capitalism works. We wish everything in life was free, but it isn't. Oh, wait a second. It's not free because we're going to up taxes. Michael Goodwin joins us now. Michael, I'm, I'm amazed at the series of events that are taking place and how the American people seem to be going along with it as his approval is at 52% for CBS and ABC and 54% in Fox's poll. What do, what do you give him? Uh, well, I would give him uh, well under 50%. Um, look, if, if you want to judge a president by sort of the big, the big picture, you know, is there a kind of peace in the valley? Uh, are people prosperous? Uh, yes. I mean, perhaps pulling out of Afghanistan is buttressing uh, the president's support. I think most Americans are tired of this war. It uh, doesn't mean it's necessarily the right decision. Uh, when Trump made it, it was, oh, my God, how, how dare you? When Biden does it, it's hallelujah from the media. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I do think the president has, as AOC says, he has delivered for the progressives. <laughs> yep. And you know, we don't know how much of the country falls into that camp now, but it looks like uh, a good portion of the Democratic Party, if not the majority of the Democratic Party, is now on the far left wing. I'm not sure what you call a wing that has half the party, but it's, it is the heart of the party now. It is the, it is the energy of the party. Uh, and, and Biden has surrendered to it. To me, that's the news of the first hundred days, Brian, is that it's no longer Joe Biden moderate, Joe Biden unifier. It's Joe Biden captive of the progressive wing. That's what the first hundred days show me. Joe Manchin pushed back over the weekend. He said, no, I, I need an infrastructure bill that's going to be targeted. I'm very pleased that the Republicans came to the table with $587 billion. It was bridges, tunnels, bridges, tunnels roads. Uh, there was broadband in there and, you know, some modern, you know, Internet, making sure rural communities be able to get access to the Internet, would evidently they're, they're not be able to do. But the human infrastructure is not flying with him. And now this now what's next Wednesday on his um, his address to the joint session of Congress, he's going to ask for another $1 trillion for a family plan. Family plan? On top of infrastructure, it was all family. He wants, now he wants, uh, he had a, a uh, COVID plan that was all family. Now he wants another one. What is he going to be giving away now? You know, Brian, I think, I think an interesting poll would be a one-question poll, and I think it would show where the country is. So do you agree that, the best social policy is a job. And I think if, if those who agree would say, why are we, why are we constantly giving, giving away money to people for not working? And, and those who would say, no, I don't agree with that. I think government handouts are the best social policy. That's the side that the Biden administration is clearly on. Uh, He's killing jobs on, with one stroke of the pen on the Keystone Pipeline and all of this Green New Deal stuff. It's going to kill gazillions of jobs, but he's going to pay you not to work. He's going to pay you to have children. He's, I mean, this is, this is a social welfare state. It may not be socialism, yep. but it's democratic socialism where the government takes a larger and larger role in everyday life, and you are paid not to work. And so you get these kind of sclerotic 
countries in Europe uh, that where you have traditionally long-running high unemployment, you have union feather bedding uh, where the unions control the shop floor and the auto industry and other places. And, and that's clearly what we're moving to. And so what's another part of that is, of course, universal health care, government health care. That's coming too. Reparations are coming. I just think everything that Biden is now doing is about bigger and bigger government, government taking more of a role in daily life. And even the restrictions, the mask wearing, all of that is part and parcel of it. It's a very similar mentality. We will tell you what to do, and we will, we will allow you to do it because we'll pay you to do it. Right. That's what we're becoming. Uh, wusses. And I'll tell you, unable to take any risk, even though the science tells us to take the risk. And now you have a situation where you're not going to have a joint session of Congress because they uh, because of coronavirus. Wait a second. Everyone in Congress got vaccinated. They just said you can have vaccinated to vaccinated. There is no risk. Why are you telling people, giving people the wrong message? Do you know this president got on Zoom calls on that on the ridiculous climate change summit with a mask on? He sat there listening on a Zoom call with a mask on, two masks on. And now he's got double vaccine. He wonders why now things are slowing down because people, we have plenty of vaccine and we're running out of people that want it. And we're not even at 50 percent yet. You have not showed us how our lives will get better. Listen to Anthony Fauci now. Cut 13. Excuse me. Cut 18. I think it's pretty common sense now that outdoor risk is really, really quite low, particularly, I mean, if you were a vaccinated person wearing a, wearing a mask outdoors, I mean, obviously the risk is minuscule. What I believe you're going to be hearing, what the country is going to be going to be hearing soon is updated guidelines from the CDC. The CDC is a science-based organization. They don't want to make any guidelines unless they look at the data the, and the w- data Walensky, backs it up. But when you look around at the common sense situation, people. obviously the risk is really very low, particularly really? if you're vaccinated. So he's telling us now to go outside. First, we had to get off the beaches, hide in the closet. Remember, if we're caught in an open yard by ourselves, we can't golf. Now he thinks we don't know that we being outside is safer. Do you look at Texas? Do you see what's happening in Florida? The CDC is a science-based organization. Really? How many times they've been politicized? Well, you know, Brian, I, I think, again, it's, it's important uh, for those of us who believe that history also has something to teach about government, that once, once government has power, it almost never relinquishes it. Yep. it. It never wants to let go of it. I mean, you have you have all of these governors who have done all of these shutdowns, draconian, and then we find almost every one of them have broken broken their own rules. Whether it's Whitmer, Newsom, Cuomo, uh, they all do something to show that they themselves are above the rules. And, and that's increasingly what you get. With more government power, you have more people looking to have, be, be favored, be protected by government. And the Trump revolution was very much about the unfavored, the unprotected, saying, you know, you, th- you think you own this country. You don't own this country. We have God-given rights. We have the Constitution. We have the Declaration of Independence. And that, I think, is what's being swallowed up here, is that 
government is back. This is not the era of small government. This is the era of the biggest government we've ever seen. And Fauci, of course, is, is typical of that. We don't want to let go. Well, I think what we're going to see, what, it's always in the future where your rights will come back to you. It's never but today. I it's know. It's got to be today. I want you to hear what the CDC director said two weeks ago, and then she was forced to walk back, but, in a, but not verbally. She did it in writing. Listen to her. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real-world data. They don't get sick. They don't carry the virus. Therefore, in the data, two different ways, we should not be wearing a mask or worry about being around people and carrying the virus because we can't with the vaccine. A little bit later, she clarified but no one's really jumped on this. That's a dramatic lifestyle upgrade. You get Then all of a sudden these people sitting on the sidelines will go, okay, I'm going to do that. I can go to a Yankee game. You know, I'm going to be able to, I'm going to, be able to go to the park. I'm going to, I'm going to be able to go, uh, you know, watch my kids play. I'm going to be able to go anywhere I want. I'm going to be able to go to that wedding or have that wedding. Yeah, look, uh, science, science also makes mistakes. I mean, that's that's built into the to the real scientific quest, which is largely trial and error. The problem when the government starts to embrace science as a kind of religion is it never admits mistakes. So, for example, the other day there was a, a finding that all of this disinfectant was probably useless. Yep. And, and yet gazillions of dollars have been spent on disinfectants, wiping things down constantly, constantly, constantly. And now they decide, well, the coronavirus probably doesn't live on on, uh, hard surfaces and that sort of thing, or soft surfaces even. So all of that was for naught. And yet, and yet they will not say stop. They won't say it's not necessary. It's always conditional. So once they, once they have a dictate, they are so reluctant to let go of it, lest people won't trust them. They'll never admit they're wrong. And so it's not really science, because science does admit it's wrong. Science is a progress toward greater truth, greater understanding. Built in are mistakes, but the government never admits a mistake. Stake. And, th- and so that's why it's not so it's not trustworthy. And it, so the more power it takes, the more dictates right. it makes, the less trustworthy it becomes. We only have a minute left, but you went and talked to the president and he turn turn gave you a story about how he does support uh, all his supporters getting vaccines. Yes, the, the New York Post has been running a campaign, really, uh, in the pages of the paper to get more New Yorkers vaccinated. Uh, as of the middle of last week, there was something like 49% of New York adults were vaccinated, and all of them have, are now eligible. And even more and more, you have walk-in sites. You don't need an appointment because the, the, this, the websites where you could make an appointment were always so confusing, so laborious. So the Post has been making this campaign. So I called the president and see if to see if he would support it and he absolutely did he said you know i i think the vaccines are terrific they're saving millions of lives tens of millions of lives we're saving entire countries and of course uh, he, he talked about his own vaccination uh first uh, former first lady melania trump's vaccination said neither one of them had any uh, reactions and he encouraged people to get vaccinated he said take advantage of it this is a great thing it's a miracle do it so i, I think a lot of people were were hard by that. Even some people wrote to the Post and said it encouraged them to get vaccinated. Yeah. 
Uh, and I just think, um, listen, um, I don't think you could blame or credit. Uh, don't say, well, I voted for this person, so I'm going to get it. I'm, I voted for that person, so I'm not. This has nothing to do with who you voted for. This has got a great trial run. If you've gotten polio, measles, and others and didn't question it, uh, go ahead and get it. I mean, if it can, especially if it can, it's going to free you up to do things. And we're already seeing it now in Europe. You want to travel to Europe? They said if you're vaccinated, you can come. You're going to see that more and more. And I'm not necessarily against it because we have to get back to our lives. And uh, if Joe Biden's not going to lead us there, we got to make him lead us there. Michael, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. You got it. Uh, Brett Bear's coming up at the bottom of the hour. But the good news is you're next. one 408 Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, let's go to the phones right now. we got Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. We're going to explore what's happening with this uh, police reform. I think there's some type of compromise being worked on. I'm optimistic. And infrastructure, I think they're going to come down precipitously. But I just worry about now this trillion-dollar family plan on top of that. That actually might fly, and that'll be uh, reconciliation. I don't know where we get this money, uh, and you heard us just speak about this. Art, listening in Illinois. Hey, Art. Good morning, Brian. And by the way, I really wish you were on the air here in Chicago. Yeah, I'm not, you know, you can get us on the stream, but I appreciate you listening. Hopefully we'll break through there one of these days. Um, well, hey, I'm listening to you on the WHIO stream out of Dayton. Oh, I thank have a story you. for you about vaccines. Um, my father told me the story when I was grown up, but it happened when I was about three or four years old. And this happened down in a place called Ferguson, Missouri, way back in the day. I developed a high fever in some very strange symptoms that frightened my parents. So they quick took me to the pediatrician that we had. Um, I, I know his name. I'm not. I'm sure he's gone. I, I'm not sure I would want to give it. But um, he looked at me, examined me very carefully, and then he picked me up and took me into another room with a nurse, and he gave me a shot. And he brought me back to my parents and said, when went take him home, put him in bed, and watch him for the next couple of days and let me know how things turn out. And in a day or so, my fever was gone. And most of my symptoms went away, although I have a slightly funny slave-footed walk because of— Coming the- up against a break. So what else is—so uh, your your walk was affected, it so we vaccinated the, you? It was the solely—I was given an experimental dose of the SOC vaccine that before it was approved by the FDA, and it cured me. Okay? Are you still there? Yeah, for polio? Yes. Wow. And my parents fired the doctor because he didn't tell them that he was doing yeah, it. It is kind of risky, but I'm glad he did it, right? Thanks, Art. Great story. Thanks for listening to WHIO Stream. Uh, Brett Bear has to listen. It's the law at Fox to the show, and he also has to contribute. He's obligated I appreciate him joining us. He'll be with us next. Back in a moment. 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. What he said on COVID is broadly popular, though, according to that poll, more than 60% approval. Given the fact that he has shown compassion regarding COVID, which President Trump did not do, and given that vaccines have now been going out at a very rapid pace, which is as much a, uh, his benefit of the timing of his entry into office as it is about what his administration has really done, um, of course he's going to do well on COVID. But my, the bigger issue, George, is uh, I really believe by this fall COVID will be a less important issue to the country. And they're going to be looking at all the proposals he's put forward. And that's going to be, and that's why you see that 52%. Uh, and I think Governor Christie's got good instincts on this, but no one's diminishing that they were organized when they came in about mass distribution. I'm not convinced the Trump people, Admiral Girard and company, would have figured that out too, because they were already up to basically a million doses and member a day. And that's what, what's his name was trying to do. President Biden was trying to do 2 million and he got to that. So we know he set the bar really low for himself and we know we're doing good as a country. Now we got to get everybody to take it. But we'll see. Brett Baer, your chief political anchor for Fox News, anchor special report. Um, and you got a great series up right now on uh, Fox Nation on taxes. Brett, do you believe that, that Governor Christie's instincts are right on this? By the fall, this will be less of an issue? Uh, I do think so. I mean, if the numbers continue to go down, I mean, listen, there's always there. There are a lot of scary things out there. Um, there are you know, you look over to India and what they're dealing with and, and they were just behind the curve. We as a country have done exceptionally well in getting vaccine out. Sixty percent of adults uh, now have it. And the question is, you know, can you keep up that pace for the people who are hesitant uh, to get the vaccine. And there are a lot of them. Uh, there are a lot of them in the military. There are a lot of them all over the place for one reason or another. And uh, and I think that the administration has done a fairly good job. But if anything, they've been too cautious. Absolutely. And in some places, and in some places that's really hurt businesses and um, and mentality and uh, kind of thought process. You know, when you see somebody with a mowing their lawn with a, a mask on, with nobody around, uh, that person was told to do that by somebody, and uh, that person should not have been. Yeah, and that's the problem. And then you don't tell us the vaccine is going to be our ticket to freedom and then change nothing. And, you know, bottom line is we're outdoors. Even Anthony Fauci says you have a minuscule chance if you're vaccinated that you're wearing a mask. I have news for you. Even if you're not wearing a mask, minuscule chance of you getting the virus, according to what we know right now. And what a message it would be for 538 uh, congressmen and women to be together watching Joe Biden give his uh, address to the Joint Session of Congress. Instead, for coronavirus reasons, they're not. Brett, they're all vaccinated. We were told indoors, vaccinated people, no problem. What's the deal? Yeah, it's like overabundance of caution. It's a, I think it's 0.017 chance of 80 million people who have been vaccinated. 5,000 uh, have had infections. 5,000 out of 80 million. Now, of the infections... 
there's really small amounts, like single digits, I think, that went to the hospital, but still didn't have problems after that. So of the 5,000, they got cases, but it was mild out of 80 million. So I don't know. It is messaging in another way by, you know, Joe Biden wearing a mask, being one of the only or the only world leader on the virtual summit, climate summit, wearing a mask. Every other world leader wasn't wearing a mask. They're in a room without other people. Um, I I just think it sends a wrong signal. And uh, they're being overly cautious. And we'll see what Joe Biden, President Biden, says uh, tomorrow about masks outdoors. And I want to talk to you about the two-piece legislation that might have some bipartisan support. But Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who worked with the Trump administration for a while and with the Obama administration, said this on Face the Nation yesterday, Cut 21. Well, look, I think a lot of the sacrifices we've made, and Americans have made substantial sacrifices over the last year, the things that we've asked people to do as public health officials were based on mutual consent that people understood we were doing these things to try to protect the public, but as the situation improved, we were going to pull them back. And I think oftentimes the mistake we make is that we're quicker to implement these precautions than we are to lift them, because we're worried that once we lift them, we won't be able to re-implement them. I think we need to lean more aggressively forward and look at ways to try to relax some of the provisions that don't really make as much sense anymore. And probably the ones that we should be looking at the hardest are things done outside. I mean, come on. Uh, we keep seeing this over and over again. This is a doctor trying to say this is this is dumb. And he's been very critical of Fauci, as is Dr. Macari critical of Fauci, then, and let alone Dr. Scott Atlas. They just think he's the wrong guy to be telling us about our lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, he's he's coming from a place of no longer bend the curve, but make COVID zero. And that's not what we were sold at the beginning. Remember, it was... X number of days to bend the curve so that we don't overcrowd the hospitals. It was never we are going to eradicate COVID-19. We deal with the flu. You know, the flu numbers are minuscule now, in part because everybody's using hand sanitizer and masks and blah, blah, blah. But every year we had 30 to 60,000 deaths from the flu. We don't hear all of that. Um, And I, I just think... These guys are coming to the realization that we've gone too far as, as a society. Um, COVID is scary, though. And, you know, the long-term in- impacts, I don't think we fully know. But we do know if you don't get it, that you're better off than if you do get it. Even though if you had it and, you, you know, and now you're immune, it, it just seems like we're not getting the, the right messaging across. Well, why is Texas along. number? Why, why, are we not, why are we looking hard at Michigan and not at Texas? Why are the numbers going down in Texas? Why are they steady and gone down in Florida? Why are they suddenly going down in New York? Everyone's like, well, the Upper Peninsula, uh, you know, Michigan's getting it. I get it. Focus on that. But if you also want, you could also learn something from success when everyone uh, diagnosed doomsday when the governor came out and said no more mask mandate. So in two weeks, the numbers have gone down 18% in this country of cases. Deaths are down 3%. 30% of fully vaccinated, 42% had one shot. We got plenty of vaccination. Uh, vaccine, uh, we have plenty of uh, vaccines right now, but we don't have people in the lines. But I want to yeah. pivot, if I can, to policing. Yep. Do you believe we are, uh, there's enough positive on both sides that we're putting together something on police reform or support that is going to get forward to a vote? 
I do think that there's um, that Tim Scott feels a, a little bit emboldened um, after getting the political Heisman Award uh, before the election. Um, I think that he's now in a position uh, to work with Cory Booker and try to get something across the finish line. I, I think that um, that the whole premise of the Biden candidacy was, listen, if we get 70 percent, 60 percent, let's take the win. And that was Reagan's mentality, too, is, you know, half a loaf is better than no loaf. Um, that has not been what we've seen from the Biden administration as of yet. And uh, I do think police reform is one thing that they might be able to do. Meantime, the attorney general is launching more investigations into police departments across the country. And that takes months and months and months. Yeah. And at the end of it, they could force a consent degree, a decree from uh, those places and essentially have federal oversight and mandates on how they police. Uh, which is maybe their goal. Uh, you know, there's a belief, Ed Mullins, among others, Pat Lynch, the Police Benevolent Association, and Ed Mullins is uh, president of the Sergeant Police Sergeant Association. They believe that this whole wearing down of the police is part of a plan to reimagine policing. And now New York, I'm sure you've seen the headline, has, has now up 75 percent in terms of retirements year to year. Seventy five percent have said, I've had it. I'm handing in my resignation. And this is what's around the bend. Democrats want and what, to— what person is going into the police academy? I know. Like after, after all this, it's, and what kid is saying, you know what, this is my career choice. I really want to go down this road. De, um, you know, there are some that are higher paid than others. There are others that are so low paid you make more at a department store, Costco or Walmart. Yeah, and that's—if there's police reform to be done, it's, it's on that side as well. And— um, I, I do think that there's a, a middle ground. The question is whether Democrats are going to go for it and allow even a minor victory for Republicans like Tim Scott. So they have ban on chokeholds, no knock warrants. Now, I've heard cops come up to me and say, really? Ban on chokeholds. We're not there to choke people out. We're there to subdue without shooting. So, OK, now you can't put your hands on it, but they could put their hands on you. And if you know a submission hold, you can't use it. Great. No knock warrants. Great. So, you know, there's a drug den and there's a cartel agent or a gangster on the other side of the door. Now you have to knock and say, I'm police. Come in. Can I come in? Fantastic. Has anyone talked to a cop about this? Any qualified immunity, meaning individuals can get sued. Now, here's what I understand they're working on. You can sue the department instead of the individual. That might be the Tim Scott compromise there on qualified immunity. Yeah, and that's really what they're working around. That was the biggest sticking point in the first iteration. Um, it's not the reason that it all went by the wayside. Politics is why why it went by the wayside. They literally did not want Republicans to have a victory in any way, shape, or form prior to the election. So um, I, I do think they're close just listening to people on Capitol Hill. And the question is whether they're big enough in the political sense uh, to actually take a yes for an answer. So you, I know you've had Joe Manchin on recently. Uh, he, you know, the Republicans came out with a with a plan, an infrastructure plan, and uh, and a lot of Democrats said you got to be kidding me. It was about six hundred billion dollars, and he's asking for what one point four trillion dollars on infrastructure. Joe Manchin said, "I think it's too. It's got to be more targeted." Here's what he said about the plan, Cut 38. That's a good start. It really is. And I'm glad they did it because it came out of BPW committee, which is Tom Carpenter, chairman, 
and my colleague Shelley Capito is basically the ranking member, and they've worked it together, so we know it has bipartisan support. We just have to look to see if we've gotten everything in there that we need. He says he won't do it on reconciliation. Do you believe him? I do. I think he um, went down the first road at the behest of President Biden uh, as a personal favor, but essentially laid, put a line in the sand and said, this is it. Next thing has to be bipartisan. Let's just think 30,000 feet here. We are dealing with massive, massive issues, hundreds of billions of dollars. And the two senators who are leading the way are from West Virginia, Joe Manchin and Shelley Moore Capito. And and they of 50 states, California, New York, big Republican states, Texas, all of the states, the ones who are leading the negotiation because they're coming with practical solutions are from West Virginia. Uh, Brett, I want to bring you back to the outrageous soundbite uh, that I can't make sense of over the weekend. And maybe it'll make your show or not. But when they were doing a debate on this week with George Stephanopoulos, Angela Rye is the former executive director of the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, she said this about uh, the Columbia, uh, the Columbus Police Department, which I still can't uh, get my head around. Cut 29. We're talking about, um, for example, with the Columbus Police Department, 30 black people killed in the last five years. Systemic racism isn't something that you get to cherry pick and decide when you want to apply it. It means the system at its core is rotten. It means that it has to be reimagined and revisited as Karen Bass talked about earlier in the show, who also is a champion and a hero on this issue, having the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act pass the House twice. So she went on to say this, cut 28. The Columbus Police Department isn't about one bad apple. It's about an entire department. So we have to talk about qualified immunity without fighting with buzzwords, but really talking about how we solve for a system that by design from its inception was designed to capture and return enslaved people back to their masters. If we can't uproot what was intended, we will forever have this problem, and we have to be willing to have honest discourse. There was a fugitive slave law in 1850. I mean, if we're going back to 1850, there's nothing about that design that is like this design. Or am I missing something? No. I mean, come on. This is, this is just rhetoric and, and, and designed to stir the pot, designed to create clicks. I think, I, I don't truly believe that she believes that the Columbus Police Department is designed to enslave black people again. I really don't believe that, although that's what that soundbite sounds like. And um, I don't know if you could talk to the black officers on Columbus Police Department or overall look at their track record over the years. I'm not defending the police department. I'm just saying realism has to strike some of these conversations at some point. You 20, I'm just going to give you the stats on number of people fatally shot by police over the last five years. In 2021 so far, 50 white, 30 black, 20 Hispanic. In 2020, 457 white, 241 black, 169 Hispanic. In 2019, 370 white, 235, 158 Hispanic. Now, it's a wide, it's a larger proportion of black and Hispanic than maybe our country breaks down on, but not much different. And then you look at where the crime stats are. Where are the where's the crime happening? I think this is a societal thing. When you talk about the families and structures and schools, I think you're onto something. Blaming the police, they're the last line 
Uh, blaming the police, I think, is so uh, inordinate compared to the problem. Final thought about Listen, that, Brad? I, you know, I mean, even even the folks who go out into the protests and say, you know, the lawmakers who say, you know, we've got to be confrontational like Maxine Waters. She asked for police protection to go out there and do that. Know. You know, and so all of these folks know that if you don't have the police as they currently stand, that there is a danger inherently. They provide us all protection. Should there be, you know, reviews and making sure that they're they're doing everything they can on training, et cetera? Yes. But should they be right. talked about as slave masters? No. And um, gotcha. I think that there'll be a pushback, a pendulum will swing. All right. Thanks so much, Brett. Always great, especially today. Brett Baird, thank you. We'll watch you tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll see you. Eastern. Back in a moment with your calls. Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. During the campaign, you made us all believe that Joe Biden would be the moderate choice, that he really, that court packing was a bonehead idea. All of a sudden, we got a commission to change the structure of the Supreme Court, uh, making D.C. a state. I think that's a very radical idea that will change the makeup of the United States Senate. AOC said his first 100 days exceeded her expectations. That's all you need to know. I like Joe Biden. He's been a disaster on foreign policy. The border is in chaos. The Iranians are off the mat. He's opening up negotiations with the Iranian regime, and they haven't done a damn thing to change. Afghanistan's going to fall apart. Uh, Russia and China are already pushing him around. If there's another Republican president uh, next, maybe, perhaps, he's got to be secretary of state. I just uh, He's 100 percent right about all these things. And if Joe Biden was somewhat reasonable, he wouldn't have been throwing all these things out. I, Steve Hayes was on with us earlier, and Steve Hayes said, well, from the dispatch, says, you know, I think that whole put a commission together thing is just to placate the left. I don't. I think they're going to come out with hard and fast recommendations, and they're going to put it to a vote. And one of them will be age bracket, and one of them will be adding uh, two Supreme Court justices to the court. Remember, they put it out there and got us used to it by saying they'll add four or six. They'll say, what about a compromise, too? A compromise with themselves. And the D.C. estate, if Joe Manchin would give in, they'd do it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks Kilmeade. so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. The Brian Kilmeade Show, fresh off a successful weekend. We made it through, but the news has not stopped. We'll try to keep you up with it. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Miranda Devine of the New York Post, as well as Howard Safer, former New York City uh, police commissioner from 96 to 2000 and fire commissioner from 94 to 96. Uh, if you want somebody that can do uh, a comprehensive look at whatever is going to be happening with policing, 
uh, in New York and around the country. It's Howard Safer and the former police commissioner has also got a sense of what we are up against now as more and more are heading for the exits to the tune of 75% increase in retirements with the NYPD. If that's not a crisis, I don't know what is. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think it's pretty common sense now that outdoor risk is really, really quite low, particularly I mean, if you were a vaccinated person wearing a wearing a mask outdoors, I mean, obviously the risk is minuscule. Uh, really? Thanks for that. Pandemic numbers are plummeting, but restrictions remain in way too many cities. Are we are too smart right now to tolerate all this. Now we have another Fauci flip flop. Uh, I am for one had it with that. Number two, we have a plan to actually have a, another meeting. Um, coming up soon. Are you going to go there? In that regard, it is, yes, we're, we're working on the plan to get there. We have to deal with COVID issues, but I can't get there soon enough in terms of personally getting there. Embarrassing. That's what I call the VP's interview on CNN as she pretends to care about illegal immigration and understand the issues. Like she really can't get to the Triangle countries because of the coronavirus. I have news for you. They're coming to our border and many have the coronavirus. You don't seem concerned about that. Number one. I do think that the Biden administration and President Biden has definitely exceeded expectations that progressives had. Uh, You know, I'll be frank. I think a lot of us expected a much more conservative administration. Well, if she's happy, I'm not. The 100-day mark. How is Joe Biden doing? We'll give you the poll numbers, but approval is in the eyes of the party beholder as we become more and more divided than ever. 80-plus percent said they were more divided since President Biden took over. Only 11 percent said we're coming together. Joining us now is Commissioner Howard Safer. Commissioner, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. So I was stunned by that number, 75 percent increase year to year in, in officers requesting retirement. Not that I blame them, but did, no, did that number stun you? No. In fact, I think it's only the beginning. Uh, what's happening with this war on police and defunding and getting rid of qualified immunity is going to send more and more police officers out the door and is going to totally decimate the recruiting effort. Well, uh, do you guys have a class uh, coming out? Do you know? There will be a class, but uh, it's a class that uh, is smaller. And I believe what's going to happen across the country out of necessity is police departments are going to start to reduce requirements to become a police officer. And of course, that is going to result in more corruption, uh, unqualified cops, and you know it, it's a disaster what's going on now for police officers. So let me just give you the numbers. Uh, so far, you have a situation where 5,300 put in their paperwork to retire. That's a 75% increase and a decrease of 15% of the force, let alone the billion dollars they cut out of the budget and getting rid of the anti-crime unit. And I'm just talking one. Commissioner, you're in touch with other police uh, police officers and uh, commissioners around the country. This is happening everywhere. It is. And because of it, what you're going to see is what you're seeing in New York City, which is a rise in shootings, a rise in rapes, a rise in assaults. Uh, and it's going to go right down the line to robberies and car thefts. We're going, unfortunately, Brian, we're going back to the bad old days. And, you know, the administration in New York is culpable in causing this. And then, of course, you have the so-called 
uh, protest groups, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, which are nothing more than people who want to loot and cause terror in our communities. Uh, Commissioner Howard Saber with us. Uh, Commissioner, so we understand this whole police reform. Uh, one of it is includes getting rid of qualified immunity, which has happened in New York already. Can you explain to uh, us out here not wearing the uniform what that is and what the significance is? Sure. Qualified immunity basically raised the standards of when you could sue a police officer, uh, police officer personally for acts committed in the line of duty. And the the threshold was that you had to prove that he violated or she violated a constitutional right, which is fine. It gives both the police officer and the, the public protection. The public can sue when there's a violation of the constitutional rights. They can't sue with a frivolous lawsuit and threaten the livelihood and the career of a police officer. With that gun, you're going to see police officers holding back and only responding to crimes in pro- progress, which is a failure. It is. Now, what they're talking about is a compromise. The Democrats want that. The Republicans say it's a no-go. They say, what if we held the precinct uh, responsible, not the individual officer? Is there a downside to that? Of course there's a downside. I mean, there are so many protections and such oversight. I mean, just look at New York City. You have five district attorneys. You have a uh, police uh, oversight board. You have two U.S. attorneys, all who have the ability to prosecute or sue a police officer or a department if they're doing wrong. We don't need additional oversight. So here is uh, what Karen Bass said. She's leading the charge through the House, and she wants to see the, the the Senate come together. Cut 33. If Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott can show us some other way to hold officers accountable, because this has been going on for just decades, and officers right now are not really held accountable. Let me give you an example. In Minneapolis, for, for instance, if Chauvin had not been convicted, even though he was fired, do you know that he could go through arbitration and that police chief has no ability not to rehire him. So we have got to figure out how to stop this, and holding officers accountable is key. So she was saying that when these people, when when an officer gets suspended or fired, they can go somewhere else, and she has a problem with that. That is true, and I think there should be a national database of police who are fired for misconduct. So I I don't disagree with that, but... The problem, Brian, is we're listening to the loudest voices. Yep. The numbers are not right. There are 800,000 police officers in this country. The number of black men who are killed by police officers, although every life matters, is infinitesimal compared to the number of black men who are killed by other black men. It is not an epidemic. What it is is the media focusing on four or five incidents out of millions. So if you look at the numbers, too, a number of people fatally shot by police in the United States, not New York, in the United States, uh, depending on the color of their skin, because everything's color of skin now. So I'll, I'll play into it. Year to date, 50 white, 30 black, 20 Hispanic, 2020, 457 white, 241 black, uh, 169 Hispanic in 2019. Similar ratio, 370 white, 235 black, 158 Hispanic. A lot has to do with who's committing the crime, too, and the areas in which you work, correct? Absolutely. Police officers respond to looking for criminals based on description of victims. 
And sadly, the majority of perpetrators in this country uh, are in urban areas are usually people of color. Also, the fact is that when you look at those numbers you just described of who was were killed by police, the majority of those men were or women were armed. Understood. Now, Commissioner, would you be on board? What, what, do, what do police need? Do they need more training? Do they need more universal standards, especially the smaller departments that tend to be underfunded? When you see the big picture holistically and you talk to your other uh, other uh, law enforcement officials, what do you think? What, what would help? Training is very important. The escalation training is, is very important. And standards are very important. You're right. The majority of police departments in this country are relatively small. And they need to have uniform standards in training and de-escalation and use of force policies. That, that I absolutely do agree with. But again, going back to what the real world looks like, this is not a pandemic of brutal racial police officers. So you could argue that the place has been the biggest embarrassment to this country and the most violent. It's a battle between Portland and Seattle. And when the President Trump wanted to put, um, wanted to put in some enforcements in there, um, some national police forces in there, they said, you better just stay away. We got this. How dare you? And the mayors in both those cities were outraged. One of those mayors has totally reversed course, one that's taken millions out of his department and told others to retire, Mayor Ted Wheeler. You talk about a change in tune. Listen to this mayor, this liberal mayor, uh, Cut 24. We must stand together as a community against this ongoing criminal intimidation and violence. They want to burn. They want to bash. They want to intimidate. They want to, ins- to assault. He wants help identifying Antifa members that continue to create havoc in their city. This guy was actually appearing with them with a bullhorn, and now, after cutting the police force and diminishing and demeaning, now he wants the people's help, and he wants police officers' help, and now he wants to restore the funding. What's your reaction? Well, of course he does, because what he's seeing now, in, he, he was pandering to the loudest voices, and what he's seeing now is his city destroyed. What he's seeing now, he's being pressured by businesses saying they're going to move out of the city because they're not being protected. He's being pressured by communities, especially communities of color, where both businesses and residences are being burned and looted. And he finally realizes this was not the right way to go. His job is to protect the property and the people of the city of Portland. He, I think he's finally having an epiphany, I hope. So I uh, talked to Ed Mullins today on Fox and Friends. And then you read comments from Pat Lynch. Ed Mullins runs a police sergeant association, other police benevolent associations, the police union. And they both think that this whole retirement by the cops is something planned. If you want to reimagine the police forces in America, which people keep saying, send a social worker out to a gunfight. If you want to do that, this is what you do. You make things so miserable for cops. You make the pay ridiculously low and you make the risk ridiculously high and they call it quits. Do you think there's a plan to get you men and women to retire? I think there's a plan by the left to make police forces as small and as inadequate as possible so that they can accomplish their goal, which is to do whatever the heck they want in cities. And that's going to cause anarchy. I mean, just look at what New York City looks like today. 
Think about what it looked like in 2000. It's it's not the same place. Businesses are fleeing. Citizens are fleeing. But who benefits from Everybody, that, Commissioner? Who benefits from that? Who benefits from that? Antifa and Black Lives Matter and activists. And certainly not the citizens of New York City. And again, we have to stop listening to the loudest voices. We have to look at the facts of what's happening. And yes, if there are brutal cops, we need to get rid of them. I fired more police officers than any commissioner in history for misconduct. But I didn't need 17 oversight committees telling us we couldn't do our job. Did you feel you had the power even though they had a union? I absolutely did have the power. And Pat Lynch was there with the PDA uh, when I was commissioner. And we got along fine. We didn't agree on everything. But we sat down and we discussed how to deal with misconduct and how to deal with pay. And, you know, he was a very reasonable individual to get along with. You uh, don't need – go ahead. You know, just lastly, we have a governor who is totally, uh, I get, uh, almost decapitated. He has almost no power, just trying to hold on. You have a mayor that's been useless from the day he got the job and somehow he got four more years. Um, have you ever seen a governor withstand this type of uh, controversy with between the nursing homes, the nine accusers, now using staffers to write a book? How is he supposed to preside over a state – that in the middle of a pandemic, when he's got so little credibility, have you ever seen somebody still in a job with this type of baggage? I, I haven't, and the only thing I can attribute that to is arrogance. And as far as the Bellasio is concerned, you know, he is as left as you can go. You know, he spent his honeymoon in Cuba. He was uh, in favor of the Sandinistas. I mean, this is an individual who doesn't care about the citizens of the city. He only cares about himself. Wow. Uh, Commissioner Howard Safer, uh, thanks so much. Appreciate some expertise during this, and hopefully they have somebody in law enforcement in Washington when they're drawing up this police reform bill. Uh, thank you so much, Commissioner. Good to be with you, Brian. You got it. one 408 7669 I'm talking New York, but this is really your city, too. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're back. Uh, Miranda Devine's coming up at the bottom of the hour. She has a a great theory on critical race theory. And that theory is this comes from Karl Marx because it's fact. That's what I'm wondering. There's a little bit difference. There's a difference here between liberal and and conservative. And that's what I'm – there's some other force. I mean who is for destroying the country? I mean you want to go up 39 percent the top rate of, of taxes. You want to double the, uh, the tax rate. Uh, it is folly. It is dumb when it comes to – uh, when it comes to taxing stocks and dividends because people just stop investing and they'll just bring their money somewhere else. And you want to raise the corporate tax rate, it'll go elsewhere. But you can debate that. But when you want to wake up every day and, and you want to make the country say what a terrible racist country you have, that we stole the land, we don't belong here, that it's white supremacy here. I'm wondering, where's this coming from? Is this China? Is this Russia? No, it's actually coming from America. Is it coming from a certain sect? No, it's, now it's coming from our textbooks. Are you kidding? 
one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Uh let's go out to Rick listening in on WABC. Hey Rick. Hey, Brian, I just wanted to bring up about this guy, Ted Wheeler. Yeah. You know, when Trump op- when Trump offered him help, I know he refused. Now he wants help. That means he failed to do his job. So maybe he should resign. Do you know who he was running against? A guy who used to former Antifa. That was the choice in Portland. If you want to know why you're not living in Portland, Rick, that's your choice for mayor. And it's not much better in Seattle, where they finally they had an effective police commissioner and she saw what was happening there. She just left. That's what's happening everywhere. But I think that they get themselves in over their head and then they want help. Just like people out there who hate the police. But when things go wrong, guess what they do? They call 911. And when when the police show up, all of a sudden they're being judged. It's your life that's out of control. You're the one who called them, and you don't like when they come down and do and and do their job, and you feel you could do it better. Rick, I know Ted Wheeler is a is a reason to stay out of Portland. I can't believe he does it with a straight face. Remember, Ted Wheeler showed sympathy towards Antifa and the and everything like that, and he couldn't even go to dinner anymore. They were harassing him at his house, harassing him at dinner. He couldn't go out to dinner, and you're wondering what's going on because you can't appease the unappeasable. It just makes things worse. We come back, Miranda Devine of the New York Post. Her latest article, getting kids back to school and not back to Marx. Karl Marx. Don't move. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Columbus Police Department isn't about one bad apple. It's about an entire department. So we have to talk about qualified immunity without fighting with buzzwords, but really talking about how we solve for a system that by design from its Inception was designed to capture and return enslaved people back to their masters. If we can't uproot what was intended, we will forever have this problem, and we have to be willing to have honest discourse. Wow. She's with the NAACP now, former executive director of the Congressional Black Caucus. That's Angela Rye, who was on this week with George Stephanopoulos. And I cannot believe people would tie police force back to the fugitive slave law of 1850, but that's exactly what happened, and it got almost no reaction. Miranda Devine, I wanted to run that by you because I read your latest article. You talk about kids and Karl Marx and the critical race theory and where it dates to, but also this sense that race is everywhere and can go back in history and bring it back to today almost as if it's a mission uh, is was everywhere on the Sunday shows. What's your reaction to her assessment? Uh, well, look, it's it's just typical. I mean, it is almost like people have been uh, brainwashed into a cult in which they believe things that don't exist. Um, they, you know, it's as if this country never had a civil war to end slavery. Uh, it's as if the civil rights movement of the 1960s never happened, um, as if the Civil Rights Act was never written to give everybody equality under the law. Um, it's as if the founding documents don't say that all men are created equal. You know, this is a, a, a unique and exceptional country, 
in the fact that it does have written into its DNA that equality matters for everybody. And so, of course, you know, no society is ever perfect and you can always find in a huge country of, you know, 350 million people, you can find some bad apples, I guess you can call them. But, um, you know, this is the one country in the world that has dedicated itself from the very beginning to uh, all men being equal, every person being of equal worth. And so to be blackguarding it and slandering it um, constantly, day in, day out, to be teaching children that this is an evil country is so um, just dishonest, I guess. Uh, I would, I believe me, I back you up 100%. Evil, that's why everyone's scrambling to get here and wants to be here. Senator Lindsey Graham yeah. got blowback on this statement, which I believe is 100% correct. Not the blowback, but the statement on is there systemic racism in America? Cut 30. No, not in my opinion. We just elected a two-term African-American president. The vice president is of African-American Indian descent. So our systems are not racist. America is not a racist country. Within every society, you have bad actors. This attack on police and policing, reform the police, yes. Call them all racist, no. Uh, You know, America is a work in progress, but best, best place on the planet and Joe Biden spends a lot of time running the place down. I wish he'd stop it. Yeah, where did that come from? Joe Biden running it down. He's been there since 1975, I think. And now all of a sudden he can't stand the country. Well, you know, it's a bit of self-loathing, isn't it? He he was responsible for a lot of the policies that are being railed against today that it ended up with uh, a big proportion of black men incarcerated. Sure. He was the one talking about he didn't want his sons to grow up in the jungle. He, he was, you know, if anybody was a racist, it was him. He was the one hanging out and giving eulogies for Ku Klux Klan people in in his friends among the Democrats. Um, you know, I don't know if he remembers any of that, but his uh, sudden about face and becoming this sort of basically BLM activist and BLM being a Marxist outfit, self-proclaimed Marxist outfit, it's really dangerous and damaging that the President of the United States just in in practically every second pronouncement is running down this country and calling it a racist hellhole, saying that he has to root out white supremacists. Um, you know, I, I don't know what is going on with him, but if he wants to see... I grew up in Tokyo in Japan, and that is a racist country. I mean, I love it. I love Tokyo and I love Japanese people. But if you want to talk about systemic racism, that is a country where my sister was born in Japan and she was not able to become a citizen ever because she was the, she had the wrong surname. You know, she was the wrong race. So um, that is a systemically racist country. China, if you're the wrong race, you get put in a concentration camp. So don't come to this country and start running it down if you don't understand what real systemic racism is and how it actually exists in the rest of the world. Yeah, so here is uh, Elin Omar on systemic racism in response to Lindsey Graham, 
who is from Sudan, Somalia, and should know better. Cut 31. Senator Graham uh, basically is trying to tell us that the sky is not blue. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's as if saying, you know, we don't, we don't have poverty issues in this country because we have millionaires and billionaires. I really don't know um, what he was uh, what point he was trying to make um, it, with with that uh, statement. Yeah, like it's not true. I mean, are you kidding me? Why are you here if you feel such a racist country? I mean, look at her. She's really been held back, coming here as a refugee, <laughs> now a congresswoman in the U.S. Congress, and, she, and she's probably making a ton of money on the side. Her boyfriend is a consultant, got a, a zillion dollars. For some reason, there's no prosecution on that. But America is a racist country. Well, you know, what can you say about Ilhan Omar? I mean, I think, I think Donald Trump was spot on when he basically said that she was ungrateful. And, you know, I think there's a lot of projection with these people. The, the ones who screamed the loudest about systemic racism themselves are racist. The way that Ilhan Omar has spoken about Jews shows that she has a bigotry problem of her own. And, uh, you know, yes. um, she was born in Somalia and at a very early age, she understood uh, the sort of anti-Semitism that's sort of in the water there. So, um she perhaps should take a look at her own heart and try and eradicate bigotry of her own before yep. she goes lecturing other people. So you, you wrote a column today. And by the way, I just just see, to back up what you said, you weren't just saying that's your opinion of what Joe Biden had done throughout his career in Senate. This is what he said as senator. The truth is every major crime bill since 1976 that's come out of this Congress Every minor crime bill has had the name of the Democratic senator from the state of Delaware, Joe Biden, on that bill and has had a majority vote of the Democratic members of the United States Senate on the bill. Congratulations, Joe. You just indicted yourself. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Kamala Harris. Uh, called him out during the primaries in one of those debates, uh, basically called him a racist. But she's sort of uh, now now willing to overlook that for her own power and benefit. But I just feel that the entire country is suffering because of some sort of psychodrama over Biden's own guilt. You know, he knows what he was, even if he's forgotten most of his life. Um, he knows how he really feels. And I guess we all have to pay the price for that. So let's talk about your column, the critical race theory and how it relates to Karl Marx. You say it goes directly back to Karl Marx. Well, it, absolutely. That's that's the, the entire premise and ideology of critical race theory is based on that same idea that the world is split up into the oppressed and the oppressors. And with Marx, it used to be class. With critical race theory or critical theory, it, it, with the bigger uh, frame, um, it's about race or it's about gender or sexuality or, you know, they just, it's identity politics and just dividing up the population into warring tribes and making us hate each other and dehumanize each other. And what critical race theory is doing that's now being embedded, thanks to the Biden administration, into all our schools is basically teaching children that America is some sort of oppressive regime of whiteness. And if you are born with white skin, you have to be punished and humiliated and marginalized right. for the sins of your forebears. 
It's amazing, too. And Karl Marx was, uh, was uh, coming to fruition when America was going through the Civil War. His writings were coming out, and he was observing, observing it all. And it helped figure into his thinking, I imagine. So I got to ask you, too, Miranda, about a stripe you had down your column about an interaction with Keith Abloh and Hunter Biden. Is that from the laptop? It is. Yes, it is. That's right. And could you describe for everyone out there, or if, in case they want to go to an archive column of yours in the New York Post, what did you write in there? Yeah, that was last week. So it's um, basically it's a conversation between Keith Abloh, who was not just a, a sort of sometime therapist uh, of Hunter Biden, but also a friend and a collaborator. He hoped in what you know they were planning to write a book or a podcast together. So they're joking around about Joe Biden being senile. And um, he basically, uh, Keith Abloh, a few years ago, had been a Fox News contributor, believe it or not. No, he was on our show all the time, yeah. Oh, right. Well, you know him. So, well, he he was he diagnosed Joe Biden back in 2012 as having uh, early onset dementia. So during this conversation later on with uh, Hunter, he's, um, it was 2019, they're joking about uh, Joe Biden being senile. And Keith Abloh says, you know, as a joke, you know, any man who can triumph over dementia is a giant, giant. And Hunter says, oh, you know, you make me laugh. And, and Abloh keeps on going, uh, you know, in another conversation. And um, he says, well, you know, maybe Joe Biden can help us remember um, the, all we intended to be as a people since he can now remember his address. That's sort of some sort of a dementia joke. And Hunter gets into the joke and he says, well, he doesn't need to know where he lives because that's the only thing the Secret Service get right at least 75% of the time. So, you know, it's, they're obviously bantering and joking, but it's interesting that back then, this was early January 2019 and February 2019, uh, when the media wasn't really talking about Joe Biden's dementia issues. Um, I mean, I, I really noticed it when I was um, in, in Iowa and New Hampshire and noticed how doddery he was and how he needed to have a... Um, a teleprompter brought into these very small group uh, group meetings, um, but it wasn't really a public thing. And to have to have Hunter Biden be joking about his father to a friend slash therapist and about his dementia at that time is is pretty illuminating. I think. So you've had a chance to look at the laptop. I have it absolutely. I'm writing a book about it. Yep, I've I've had it for uh, since since October. In fact, since we started writing about it. Wow. So when will this book be out? It's out in September. It'd be called The Laptop from Hell. And it's as bad as everyone says, even worse? It's it's worse in some ways and not as bad in other ways. I mean, there have been some doctored images floating around the Internet um, of Hunter Biden, uh, you know, with, with a young Chinese girl. That's not on the laptop. So I think there's been, unfortunately, exaggeration because you don't need exaggeration when it comes to this laptop. The evidence itself is bad enough without sort of, you know, it's almost like it's a, a, a deliberate operation um, on the internet to kind of discredit anything that comes out of the laptop by putting out very outlandish false stories. 
Interesting, because I'll say one thing. Two things have become clear. If you cared about Hunter Biden, you would not put him in these international high-pressure business deals because everybody knows if you're an addict, as soon as you hit tension, pressure, that's when you go on your binges. And number two, if you sense that your 76- or 78-year-old father is suffering memory lapses, the last thing you want to do is stress him out and give him the uh, make sure he gets the presence of the United States. But there's dialogue with him saying, Dad, please run. So does anyone look out for anyone in that family? It's amazing. <laughs> Miranda. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't wait to read it. Miranda Devine, thank you so much. Thanks, Brian. Great to talk to you. All right, back to find out if we need to know more. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The UFC put on its first event with a full-capacity crowd since the COVID-19 pandemic started last March. More than 15,000 fans packing into the arena in Jacksonville on Saturday night without social distancing, not many masks being worn. Many fight fans were excited about the atmosphere, while critics are concerned it might become a potential super-spreader event. But it more than likely wasn't. And just like the Texas Stadium and the Ranger game was. And hi, everybody. It's time to find out as I give you more on this. And before I give you more on this story, if there's indeed more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Here we go. Uh, That happened. Jacksonville UFC. 15,000 fans attend the event. It was an unbelievable show, reportedly. I feel bad to have missed it. Star Veterans Memorial Center, the place happened. 15,000 went. Dana White said he has no regrets over holding it. The fans uh, were required to sign waivers and fill out health questionnaires. I don't know what that questionnaire consisted of. Probably. Do you have a fever? Have you been exposed? Blah, blah, blah. But let's be honest. But the cut we just played, it's not, you know, possibly a super spreader event. Most of, like, the media is hoping it will be. Absolutely. No question. But I love it. It was a, evidently it was a great show. There's even a uh, they even have one of these reality stores who ends up being a pretty good boxer. I forgot his name. You probably know his name, Pete. Uh, but he got called out by one of the UFC stars. Pretty wild. Next, uh, Oscars. Nobody knows these names. Nobody watched the show. I'll run through it. Nomadland wins Best Picture. Uh, it also takes Best Actress in Frances McDormand. Uh, Best Actress, something unpronounceable. Best Actor, Anthony Hopkins, The Father. Any co- thoughts? No, I mean, it's just, I mean, the movies were closed. Like, I don't think anyone's really seen these movies unless, I like, guess, people are just sitting at home streaming all they year. They did not even try. There was no music. There was no host. It was terrible. I, did, I didn't watch it. Couldn't tell you. But, but, but we do have the good cut from Tyler Perry. My mother taught me to refuse hate. She taught me to refuse blanket judgment. And in this time, and with uh, all of the internet and social media and algorithms and everything that wants us to think a certain way, the 24-hour news cycle, it is my hope that all of us would teach our kids, and not only to remember, just refuse hate. Don't hate anybody. I, I refuse to hate someone because they are Mexican or because they are black or white. Or LBGTQ. I refuse to hate someone because they are a police officer. I refuse to hate someone because they are Asian. And I want to take this Gene Herschel humanitarian award and dedicate it to anyone who wants to stand in the middle, no matter what's around the wall, stand in the middle, because that's where healing happens. That's where conversation happens. That's where change happens. 
That is Tyler Perry giving one of the most positive remarks. A lot of it was negative. America's racist. Black people getting shot by police. The stats don't add up to that. Last one. James O'Keefe is suing CNN following a permanent ban from Twitter. He says, we've never lost a lawsuit. Listen. Nope, we don't have time for that. Sorry. We don't? <laughs> no. It's Project Veritas. The founders taking action after they caught using a dating app. One of the executives talking about how they went out of their way to screw Trump and blow up the coronavirus numbers to make America scared to death and Trump to blame. And he says, I welcome the ban because I'm going to sue my way back on. It'll be interesting to watch, and hopefully, you know, big tech can finally get reformed. Doubt it. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.